Strike Force Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force Energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason. The fight will always follow you, and it waits for no one. Buck Sexton here for Strike Force, and I invite you this summer to join us in giving back to America's troops. Over the last three years, Strike Force Energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this battlefield-proven liquid directly to your door. Strike Force Energy liquid packs available in four flavors have zero sugar, zero calories, and are made with only the finest ingredients. For the fuel to power through your toughest fight, simply add Strike Force to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice cold beer. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strike Force Energy is the fuel for the fight. Entering the Freedom Hut. Former CIA Director Brennan gets his security clearance swiped by Trump. Uh oh, we'll talk about that. Plus, also, Cuomo says he wants to throw his hat in the ring, maybe, maybe in 2020. We know that Donald is ready for him. And also, why is it that socialists don't math good? We'll get into that more coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. As the head of the executive branch and commander-in-chief, I have a unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information, including by controlling access to it. Today, in fulfilling that responsibility, I've decided to revoke the security clearance of John Brennan, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Historically, former heads of intelligence and law enforcement agencies have been allowed to retain access to classified information after their government service so that they can consult with their successors regarding matters about which they may have special insights and as a professional courtesy. Neither of these justifications supports Mr. Brennan's continued access to classified information. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. You know, he did it. Trump did it. He said he was going to do it. He said, in fact, this was going to happen. And uh, and now there's some other folks that he may just decide to... Uh, pull some clearances from you know I, i've got i've got so much on this and here here's a nice advantage by the way i'm coming to you live from new york city today instead of from the swamp in dc nice to be up here in the big apple uh, my hometown uh i would just want to get this out there I, i'm one of the uh, rare hosts on radio who has had a clearance had a security clearance had a ts clearance in fact top secret and, and knows a bit about this so i can speak with some degree of background which is which is good which is fun but also i know Something that until you've been working around these people, you can't know. And that is that they all think they're much more, you know, these heads of these different agencies. You know, once they're out of government, they all think they're much more indispensable than they are. That there's something, there's some mystique around them, right? And and that, I think, was in part from, especially on the intelligence side, you know, the whole situation of, uh, you know, the Jason Bourne, James Bond world. James Bond is still a cooler 
super spy all this the, the best super spy of all time is still british unfortunately i know people would say ethan uh ethan hunt or not ethan hunt that's the actor ethan what's his name from uh mission impossible you know is it is it ethan hunt yeah, yeah. i was ethan hawk ethan hunt you know it's all the same hawk is the actor uh james bond is still the best spy of all time but when you get to know some of these spy agency heads these directors you realize that they're not that impressive some of them are some of them really aren't and that it's a very bureaucratic job and that a lot of people who have had the job kind of stunk at it. And we don't have some great need of them to just be able to show up and, and do whatever they want. And, and here's the big divide, because I'm getting heat from this already. I already have said, you know, when I went on Tucker's show a few weeks ago, I was like, this is there's no reason these guys to have these clearances. And people say, oh, Buck, but they have to. What if there's a government program that only if there's a government program that only the former director knows about? We got a big problem, folks. You got congressional oversight that has to know about these things. You've got the different. There's a whole big tree, a bureaucratic tree below the whether it's the head of the DOJ or the CIA or the DIA or any of these different acronym agencies. There's a whole bunch of people that have much greater institutional knowledge on this stuff than the than the director generally will. A lot of directors come and go. There are people that, you know, you want to talk about the uh, the Defense Department or the CIA. Look at Leon Panetta, perfect example, right, former director. Yeah, he was in the agency for a few years. I forget how many off the top of my head. I was actually at, at the agency when, when Panetta was there. But there are people that are there for decades, people that are way longer. And so this whole thing of, oh, my gosh, you know, without him, we won't. It's just a, this is just nonsense. And there's, a, by the way, there's a lot of. And now, you know, people don't want to hear this stuff, but there's a lot of kind of influence selling and, you know, I'm going to be a consultant, but I still have a little bit of access. No, 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 no. You're out. You're out. You're no longer in government service or doing work for the government because there's some people if you work for, you know, Lockheed or something, you got to have a clearance if you're working on sensitive government projects. But if you're not involved in government stuff, you shouldn't have an active clearance. So that's let's establish that general principle right now, because you're going to see a lot of, oh, my gosh, it's the dark night of fascism now. No, false. Do not believe these people. They don't know anything or they're just blinded by their hatred of Trump. I'm not even going to say partisanship, blinded by partisanship. I'm a partisan. Openly, proudly, honestly, I am a partisan. I tell you this. You know where I come from. And this is the way information gathering and uh, analyzing and sharing should be done going forward people should be honest about who they are what they believe not pretend i'm just neutral later on we'll have a neutral story brian williams we've done some google searches for trump's dogs not a lot of dog photos folks don't know what to say about that so uh but i'm here to tell you that uh, anybody who's claiming that this is some terrible calamity and that this is Oh, here we go. We got we got Senator Blumenthal on CNN saying revoking Brennan's clearance is illegal. Now, Blumenthal is an idiot. And I don't say that lightly, but he says stupid stuff all the time on TV. I mean, he just says, just says stuff that's just it's just not true. He's kind of up there and he's sort of nerdy. And, you know, he's a, it's just there's nothing from this guy that you should believe on this issue at all. By the way, he's sitting across the table right now on Wolf Blitzer show from Jim Shuto, who is a, quote, journalist who used to work for the Obama administration. So I think that's always an interesting thing, right? You can do that, and you're just considered a journalist. But I think of a conservative. Do you think that anybody who's worked for Trump is going to be able to just go out in the media and be a, quote, objective journalist? And you see the, the hypocrisy one. It's just the hypocrisy slapping us all in the face all the time. But now with Trump, we get to punch 
back. Buck slap. Isn't that fun? Uh, so that's the, on the basics of the whole clearance process for former. Look, I, I don't still maintain my clearance, and that's a darn good thing because I, I it would be inappropriate for me to be accessing classified, even if I'm trying to be very clear about accessing classified on a regular basis or on a fresh new basis. And then going on air and being like, well, this is what I think is going to happen, you know, tomorrow in this place, right? That's not cool. You can't do that. Why should it be different for the former directors? You heard that. As a courtesy? What the heck is that? Well, what do you mean as a courtesy? Why should they be able to go on air and trash the president and maintain their access to classified information in this way? You know, what is, what is that all about? And this is where you get another level of distinction. You know, it used to be that the intel agency heads were thought of as being kind of above the partisan fray. They were thought of uh, as people who were just, they were professionals doing a job. And in that, you know, with that reality, I could see, I could understand some of the procedural, some of the things that they've been doing in the past with you know, maintaining access and, and keeping clearances active for people. I, I, I get it. I, I can kind of understand that. But you see what the cabal of Clapper, Brennan, Comey, Orr, Strzok, Yates, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm, I'm missing a bunch of, you know, a couple of high-level FBI guys that resigned, some DOJ lawyers that are out of there. You know, when you look at that whole, never mind, uh, the the straight up political appointee folks that were brought in by the Obama administration, like Susan Rice and Samantha Powers. But when you look at the national security officials, specifically national security officials that have shown themselves to be part of hashtag resistance. They are working to actively undermine the current commander in chief, and they are using both their recently vacated offices and their continued access to give them additional ammunition against the administration. That's what they're doing. That's why when Brennan goes on TV and says, well, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have reason to believe that, you know, they have something on Trump. Folks, when the, when the most recently departed CIA director is going on TV and saying the current president might be an asset of the Russian government, that's crazy. That's, you want to talk about undermining institutions, for one, it undermines the presidency. It also undermines the CIA, my former home agency. Because how can you trust that the person running this is not going to use their access and the credibility that comes along with that to be uh, partisans later on? I mean, you're, you're seeing this now with a whole bunch of different people with very senior level access. And this is what's so important to remember, because they're going to make all this noise about Brennan's clearance, you know, which also is. In no way some national security emergency or some big First Amendment issue. It is unprecedented to have as many senior national security officials for the previous administration immediately turn into the not just the harshest critics of the current administration, but to be involved in ongoing criminal investigation of that administration that they pushed for. And now they're on TV. Brennan created the Russia collusion narrative, then left the CIA before he could be thrown out of the CIA, which I think would have happened if he had stayed and we figured out some stuff, but left and then goes on TV and says, outrageous, okay, Hayden, I worked for Hayden. I don't know what's happened to that guy. Mike Hayden has lost his mind. 
But they go out now on TV and they use the additional credibility they have for former CIA director, former NSA director, or former, you know, whatever, to hammer the president. And yes, they have a constitutionally protected right to say those things about the president. I'm not challenging them on that. But they do not have a constitutionally protected right to maintain a security clearance while they do it. And they also do not have a right to be free from criticism from the very president that they are not just trying to undermine with their arguments, but that they are working to see drummed out of office and maybe even put in prison. The damage that they have done, and and this is so important for you all to hear because you're not hearing it from anyone else, the damage that is being done to our national security institutions, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the law enforcement arm of the federal government, and to the intelligence community, which is vast, it's way too big, by the way, and as you've seen with the FISA warrants and Carter Page, tremendous power, but the damage that's being done to those institutions will last long after Trump leaves office in six years. It's going to continue on because this is unprecedented. All these people right now who are saying what Brennan and Clapper and Hayden and others are doing is okay would have lost their minds if the Bush administration's national security officials had all gathered together, created a narrative, not just of Obama's unfitness for office, but that they were trying to subvert Obama. And we know, folks, there have been leaks, including illegal leaks from senior folks in the national security bureaucracy to the major newspapers and the, and the anti-Trump news outlets like CNN. And it's this is stuff that came from high level. Somebody spilled Flynn's phone call to the press. Somebody was using their access to submarine uh, to deep six. This White House in every way that they could. Okay, so Trump is trying to clear this out. And he's when, when you have a mole, when you have somebody who is using their access for the bad guys, sometimes you got to pull you got to pull access for a whole bunch of people. So I think this is this is. It's both completely sensible and also not really that big a deal. They're going to tell you that this is a a huge problem and this is over. They're claiming that Trump is politicizing, you know, intelligence and intelligence access. Meanwhile, they're holding up people that swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution and were appointees of a previous administration. And they are working to subvert the current president of the United States without evidence and without even a a shred of professionalism. They have they've become rank partisans and it's an embarrassment. I speak to people still in the community, not, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, so what most journalists do, folks, is they talk to. A couple of people at the very top at whether it's, you know, the CIA or if it's, you know, the DOJ, they have a couple of people at the very top that they know can talk and probably won't get in trouble. And they think that that's oh, that gives them a sense of the rank and file. I talk to people still in the community. They are embarrassed by what is going on. The rank and file that I speak to are embarrassed by what the former CIA director, the former FBI director, uh, they've been doing with this administration. And it's not about politics for them. It's about the professionalism of those institutions being just just thrown into a bonfire here. It's crazy what is going on. So I know there's all this, uh, you know, there's all these claims where this is an abuse of power. Guess what? It's within the president's power. He can do it. He has done it. And maybe it's time we just start telling the Democrats, you know what? Deal with it. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We have O. 
so much more to get to uh, some stuff from the uh, elections, the primary election stuff that's come in. Uh, maybe a bit more of an update on Turkey, which, you know, we've been following closely here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, 844-900-BUCK. We will be right back. Do you know who commissioned the Steele dossier? I don't. Did the CIA rely on it? No. Why not? Because we we did. We, it wasn't part of the corpus of intelligence uh, information that we had. It was not in any way used as a basis for the intelligence community assessment that was done. You see, that intelligence community assessment was about Russian meddling. Who, who created the connection between the Facebook accounts and what was a, a pathetically small-scale attempt by the financial numbers involved, by the different... Uh, by, by any objective metric of how media works, how social media works in the current environment, but who created this narrative then that it was somehow tied to Trump? Somebody must have been pushing that story and pushing it at a very senior level of government. Now, you can believe that the FBI just came up with this on their own, that somehow Papadopoulos got on the radar of the FBI, as they said, which I don't believe, by the way, that... Carter Page, they decided to turn on Carter Page. Carter Page had worked with the FBI, had had sat down with the FBI, has, by the way, never been even, never been accused of a crime, even whispered what the crime was that Carter Page could have committed, never been, uh, never mind being indicted. He has, and I've spoken to him about this, he said that he is a patriot, he says that he disagrees with some U.S. foreign policy in terms of what's going on with Russia, but, I mean, look, you know, I, I, the Obama administration, look what they did with Iran. I don't think they're traitors. I just think they weren't very smart, right? I, I mean, that, there's a difference. Uh, but, but I'm not running around claiming that the mullahs had, you know, given bags of cash to Ben Rhodes or something like that. But that's basically what they say about, about people around in Trump's orbit. It's not even just those national security officials. You got Preet Bharara, the former uh, U.S. attorney for, for the Southern District here in New York. You know, all these government officials that have come out, and they're not opposing Trump policies. They're trying to take down the man himself. This is unheard of. And, you know, Brennan and some of these other figures, they are desperate to make sure that they can muddy the waters and stop the Republican-majority House of Representatives from, from these investigations into just how, how did all this get going? How did we get so far down this pathway? This is crazy. This whole collusion thing going on for two years here. It's just all a big bunch of nothing. Think of all the time on all the investigation and the airwaves uh, with all the different news channels. All it's, this, it's the biggest waste of time in my lifetime. Uh, you know, I'd rather them start telling me that they're going to just cover the, the missing plane nonstop again. At least there's, the, there's a possibility you'll find out something interesting there. With this, there's no possibility. This it is all a Russia collusion delusion, and I, I'm, I've run out of patience with it. I wish we could just stop this whole thing. I like that Giuliani is telling uh, Mueller that he better finish this thing up, or else the, you know he's going to get turned up even more because Mueller's engaged in a political exercise, whether he will admit that or not. Uh, and and Brennan and these other political actors, they need a, there needs to be a reckoning here with what they're really doing and what their motivations not just are now, but were back when they were in government. It's dirty, folks. There is a cabal. There is a deep state. All right. And they were spying on Trump. So let's figure out just how much.
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I was called by a friend and associate um, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was giving that statement. Uh, so I had no knowledge of it uh, beforehand. No one contacted me. Nobody reached out to me over the past several weeks when this issue was first uh, had first surfaced. So the first I heard about it was when I was able to turn on the television and uh, listen to uh, Ms. Sanders. Um, and I have not heard, heard anything from any uh, government official uh, since then. You know, I, like I said, although the president's allowed to do this, I don't know anybody who's been able to make an argument yet that the, the president controls access to classified information. This is within the executive branch, folks. I think that part of this is that they just don't really believe that Trump is the president. I mean, that was Brennan there, the former CIA director, saying that he found out about this from the White House uh, press briefing today. Trump had said he was going to do this for a while. I will say I was wrong about one thing. I didn't think Trump was going to do it. <laughs> so I'll be totally honest with you about that. I didn't think it was really going to happen. But I also have said all along it wasn't really that it wasn't really that big of a deal. And here's the guy who's running around now, who's the former CIA director, who's running around on TV, the kind of stuff that he says about the current commander-in-chief. I think Donald Trump has badly sullied the reputation of the office of the presidency with his invective, with his constant um, disregard, I think, for human decency, as well as his befriending of autocratic leaders around the world and his uh, continued pursuit of relationships to benefit himself as opposed to the country. I do think that America's standing in the world has also been tarnished. But I think even more fundamentally, what he is doing here in the United States is very polarizing. And he is, I think, the most divisive president we've ever had in the Oval Office. Why do you think they put Brennan on TV so much, folks? Let's really be honest about this for a moment. Why do you think John Brennan's on TV? He doesn't say anything particularly interesting or eloquent. He goes way overboard with a lot of his analysis. So why does he get so much airtime? Could it be because to people who are Trump, anti-Trump deranged, that to have a former CIA director and the most recent, there is a difference here, by the way. If he had been the CIA director 10 years ago, I'd be like, all right, you know, the guy moved on with his life. He just left the agency. He's on TV. He's saying that Trump befriends autocrats. He's saying all these terrible things about the president of the United States. The only reason that he gets the airtime he does is because of the gravitas that he has as the most recent CIA director. So he, so he is trading on that and also the continued access that he has because there's this assumption in the mind of the viewers, well, he must really know the truth about Trump because he was a CIA director. Otherwise, what he says is it's like third tier Huffington Post comment section stuff. It doesn't matter. Who cares? The reason they like him so much, the reason he's such a useful uh, antagonist to the president of the United States right now is because he was Obama's CIA director. And because he maintains classified access. And so when he goes on TV and says all these terrible things, it's, oh, well, the CIA director thinks this about Trump. It must be true. Uh, that's very damaging. It, it is very damaging. Uh, I mean, a lot of us know. And, you know, this is to anyone who says, oh, Buck, this is terrible. The partisanship. Hayden is tweeting out photos of constant of Nazi concentration camps and saying that's what that's what Trump is doing at the border. That's right. The former CIA director did that. And didn't back down from it, by the way. It's like, yeah, that's right. That, that seems about fair. That seems about right. So let's not pretend that their side has not completely lost their minds over this already. 
we got a lot of calls, so I want to take a couple of them here. Um, Bill in Oregon. Hey, Bill. How's it going? I'm good, sir. Thank you for your call. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, make a point about something. You know, this all started with Johnson, if you remember. I, I don't. I was born in 81. Okay, the fall of the black community started with Johnson. Are you talking about like the great like great society programs and and the welfare state and the destruction no, of minority not. communities? Is that what we're trying to get out here? I got recruited for Arab Air America. I didn't know what I was getting into. I don't know what I'm getting into right now. What are you talking about? Well, we were. I was. There was. We had two aircraft. We had two DC seven. I mean, yeah, DC eight. I should say. And we were flying from Guam. We never left Guam, never left, you know, territory of the United States. So we had never had to go through customs. But we were bringing stuff back in, in San Francisco, Chicago, and Florida. Bringing what stuff back? What, how about China White? That's quite a... <laughs> Mike, where did we... This is quite an interesting... Uh, well, um, okay. So you're saying you were bringing drugs in the United States under the orders of the government? I mean, I've heard this conspiracy before from people. Do you have any? Why am I hearing about this now from you, Bill? I'm just tired of all. We finally got a president that's standing up. And I think everything needs to fall out. I think all the laundry needs to be washed. All right. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. All the laundry needs to be washed. And producer Mike's going to get a code red for that phone call. Uh, Bill, also Bill, in uh, Florida, retired law enforcement officer. Hey, Bill. Yes, sir. Live Oak, Florida. How you doing? Good, hey, sir. You're Thank sounding you. good. And I think you got something that cannot be taught in college, and that's called common sense. Thank you. I try. Now, yes, sir. I was born with that myself, and that's the only way you get it. I do know it's like Hillary now. Does she still have a security clearance? Um, that is a good question. She was the secretary of state. My guess would be if she wanted access, they'd probably still give it to her. You know, I I would think somebody would have jerked that, you know, being a former secretary of state. These people, when they get in these situations and they're not on duty, okay, are civilians. They're civilian citizens. They don't have the right to that. Even when I call in, if I'm going to go on duty and I'm retired, but once in a while on the you know emergency type thing or something on law enforcement, I have to call in and use the code, and then they tell me, okay, well, you need your help, but we don't. Why don't they do that? Because I'm just you know classified now as a retired law enforcement civilian citizen. That's all I am. You know there ought to be some sort of a formula for this if the. Uh, president decides he wants to knock this guy off of security, he should have all the right in the world to do it. Yeah, well, he does. Have, what's what's amazing, back. Bill, is he does. No one's really, at least no one that I'm listening to or paying attention to, is saying that he does not have the ability to do this. Right. It's a, so people who are saying, oh, my gosh, they just don't like that. He has exercise authority that he has, which this is a constant problem with Trump. Trump does things that the other side doesn't like. And then they act like there's something you know, inherently wrong with the act when really they just don't like the decision, right? It's not that what? he doesn't have the authority to do it. They just don't like he chose to use that authority. Uh, who was the rank person, which was a female, that announced that factor that he's losing his, you know, where does she fit in at? I don't know exactly who that was, but she's the one that announced it. Trump didn't. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced it. Bill, thank you for calling in from Florida. I do appreciate it. Uh, Wade in Mississippi. Hey, Wade. How's it going today, sir? I'm good, sir. Thank you for your call. She was high. I wanted to uh, holler at you. Oh, wow. My my tweet is currently on Brett Bear's show on the screen. That was kind of fun. <laughs> that just That's a weird thing to happen when you're doing radio. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's me. Go ahead, sir. All right. I just wanted to holler at you. Um, I, I don't think it's no surprise that, that Trump pulls the clearance because he had tweeted out what, a week ago or so that he was going to pull a lot of clearances. Yeah. He was looking at pulling a lot. I believe that's going to happen. I really do. Trump seems to be a man of his word so far. That, that is true. By the way, Wade, I think you're making a good point, which is I should I I I shouldn't have doubted the Trumpster on this one. He said he was going to do it. He did it. You can't do it. You can't doubt him on it. Now, now, when when he lies, we'll call him out on it. You know, of course, the other media believes that uh, he's lied four thousand and something times since he's been in office. I think that's yeah. If you believe what they're saying, it's uh, you know everything he says is a lie. I mean, he, he yeah. nothing. There's nothing he says that is not a lie. That's pretty much what they. Yeah. That's the opinion they seem to be. Uh, they seem to be. But what do you think about this, Wade? Is this uh, is this a justified move? A definitely a justified move. I think it's uh, uh, should have been done seven, eight months ago, probably to all of them. All, all of the uh, anti-Trumpers, anyway. You saw how strokes, oh, no, our Texas were just, they went, that was not what it meant. No, it was, you got security clearance, then you should keep your mouth shut. Yeah, you, I mean, you know, look, active, du- active yeah. duty military all know that, you know, that right there, there are limitations on, you, you can't be active duty military and, you know, doing videos in your military uniform, be like, yeah, I hate the commander in chief and I won't obey his order, right? You don't get to say, oh, well, that's free speech. Why should you have access to classified information as a non-political, you know, as somebody who's no longer in that role and and be able to go out there and, and constantly trash the president? I mean, the president should be able to say, if you're going to do this, I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to continue to have access. Awesome. That's, that's true. I got one more quick question for you. Yes, sir. You mentioned free speech. What, what, what are your ideas and feelings on the free speech war that's going on right now against our, our First Amendment? Oh, that's a very, that's a very very important question. In fact, you know, Wade, I'm going to use that to transition to our next segment. Shields High from down in Mississippi. Thank you for calling in. Um, I, I think anyone who believes that they're just going to leave it at Alex Jones is kidding themselves. Anybody who, uh, anybody who believes that... They're going to the, the left and the social media platforms and all these deplatforming efforts and conversational health and all this Orwellian mind control, thought control, word control crap that they're trying now is going to stop at just the, you know, the most outrageous or the most egregious. They are kidding themselves. But let me let me get into that's an excellent question from Wade. Let me get into this a little bit more on the other side of this break. Stay with me. very important that you all know that what the left seeks is not a level playing field for ideas and debate. They seek the powers of unfettered censorship and they seek information dominance in the political space and the cultural space all across the board. Not based on what you want, not based on individual choice, not based on even what the group cares to read or share but what they determine you should see and those around you should see and be subjected to and be around. They are doing everything they can now. And I have seen this coming for a long time. I've told you about this for a long time to restore what they had 
for most of the post-World War II 20th century, which was the ability to control the narrative by controlling the dissemination of information itself. You control where and how information goes around places, then you, in fact, can control what people think to some degree. Your propaganda is that much more effective. The social media platforms, it's not just for people, you know, checking up on their high school sweetheart now that she's all grown up and has five kids of her own, and it's not just for, you know, instant messaging back and forth in the office. We're being told by people that a small Russian Facebook buy and some Facebook trolls uh, from Russia were, if you believe the leftist narrative, able to influence a presidential election. Think about what the actual platform controllers can do at Twitter and Facebook and Google. Think about the power that they have to, in much more subtle ways, influence what all of us see and how we think and how we think about those topics that are top of mind. Uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has been asked about uh, Alex Jones. He gave an interview to uh, Lester Holt on NBC News. He said, quote, we can't build a service that is subjective just to the whims of what we personally believe. You know, Dorsey realizes that the moment Twitter becomes part of the lie of the mainstream media, right? The moment Twitter becomes like NPR. What is NPR, folks? It's just the news for people who tell the news like this, who have this neutral tone of voice. And they therefore must also have a neutral point of view. That's not true, though. Right? NPR is very liberal, as you know. Uh, and they pretend that there should be public funding for some of these liberal platforms by continuing on with this ridiculous idea that, oh, no, it's not really it's not really pushing a point of view. It's just providing a public service. What you will see continue to happen with the major social media platforms and Silicon Valley. Remember, Silicon Valley is really an extension of San Francisco. San Francisco is the single most liberal city in the United States. Number two is D.C., the swamp, as I've told you. But San Francisco is number one. The politics of the Bay Area are left of Bernie Sanders. Okay, you don't think that that's going to influence how they set their terms of service, how they police it. How many instances of this can we see where people are going to be banned or people are going to be uh, eliminated who are conservative only to have all of us say, hold on a second, that person they got. I, I just saw. What was it earlier this week? They banned Gavin McInnes. I used to do red eye at Fox News where Gavin McInnes would be a pretty regular guest. He's banned from Twitter now. Um, and, you know, it's they, they started this with that guy uh, Milo a long time ago when he got banned permanently from Twitter. And if I recall correctly, he was banned not for what he did or said, but for what some of his supporters were involved in uh, in writing on Twitter. But. If these are not open platforms, they increasingly, for political debate and discussion, become effectively worthless. If, if there are going to be rules of the road determined for us by the overseers of these platforms, then they cease to have the value that they've had in the past as the one place where, other than talk radio, thank you very much, uh, where the left had a, a vast advantage over the right. You know, the reason that Facebook has been so appealing for conservatives uh, over the last you know, decade or two, well, I guess it's less than two because Facebook came online in 2004, right? I'm, I remember when I was in school, but my school was one of the first 50 or 100 or whatever that got Facebook. 
And as we all know, it really was just about people wanted to see who else was in their class. It was just about seeing photos of people. And now it's one of the most valuable companies, one of the most capital efficient companies on the planet. Uh, but they are incredibly powerful now. Uh, they are only going to grow more powerful over time. And they need, we need to at least be honest and upfront about what's going to happen with them. I mean, Jack Dorsey is saying now that people are going to be getting timeouts. He's the CEO of Twitter. People will get timeouts if they misbehave on Twitter. This is going to be, who are the people that always boycott? Who are the people that like to be the hall monitors of speech, that like to go tattle to the teacher? It's always liberals that do this, my friends. You know this. It's always the liberals that want somebody else to weigh in and make the big, bad, mean conservative stop saying those mean things about, you know, constitutionalism and low low taxes and limited government. So mean. We just don't have it in our, you know, culturally conservatives, in our DNA and our ideology, whatever you however you want to put it. We're not rushing to boycott people all the time. We're not running off and hoping that somebody else is going to make the bad, mean people stop saying things we don't like. The left does this all the time, and they're going to keep doing it. And I I don't have an answer for you right now other than we need to be aware of it, and we need to come up with some ways forward. I mean, maybe that means means some conservative platforms for free and unfettered discussion and debate. We'll have to see. Big Hour 2 coming up. You know, I talk about home security a lot on the show because it matters a lot to me. And I have a Simply Safe system, which is simply the best system you can get. It offers you fantastic protection. It's very easy to use. And, you know, I've got some additional news for you. Simply Safe is now worth a billion dollars as a company, okay? I've known the Simply Safe folks for a long time. They're all about keeping you and your stuff safe and secure, giving you protection against intruders, fires, leaks and burst pipes, and that's why they protect over 2 million people right now. This is the most user-friendly and best system you can possibly get. It's the one that I have at home. I want you to check it out, too. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Just visit simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I, safe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck to protect your home with the Simply Safe system. Uh, again, no contracts or hidden fees, folks. Very intuitive, very straightforward system. Simplysafe.com slash buck. They want to end your Second Amendment, and they're putting a big move on it. And Cuomo wants to end your Second Amendment more than anybody. Cuomo wants to take away your Second Amendment. Now, he called me and he said, I'll never run for president against you. But maybe he wants to. Oh, please do it. Please. 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 No. He did say that. He did that. Maybe, uh, maybe he made it. The one thing we know, and they do say, anybody that runs against Trump suffers. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Game of Thrones level slogan from Trump. Anyone who runs against Trump suffers. That's up there with, you know, we do not sow or, you know, things like that. I mean, that's really, for those of you who are Game of Thrones watchers, welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, I, I like that Trump is already just he he's not waiting for the Democrats to put forward whoever they want. He's going to try to to goad them a little bit with, uh, you know, who, who are you really going to put up against me? You're going to put going to put Sanders up against me. You're going to put Cuomo, not bro Cuomo. We might get to him later on. Um, but no, no. A- Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, the one who always talks like this. Who generally yells and has nothing important, interesting, or even vaguely intelligent to say. That's how he likes to give his speeches. 
a deeply uncharismatic politician. I, I would like to know, other than his name, I mean, it's kind of name recognition, I suppose, uh, why it is that he is even in the position he's in right now. But but to give you a sense of what Trump would be up against, right, uh, would be up against, you had, you had, uh, Kamala Harris recently, when asked, what, what accomplishments have you had in the Senate? And it was, well, I'm on some committees, you know, stuff, TPS reports. I mean, there wasn't a lot of substance there. Uh, you have Bernie Sanders, who's like, free stuff for everybody. Who needs to pay for anything? It's going to be amazing. You have Ocasio-Cortez. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, whatever. Like, I just want socially justice to be justifiably social. And I don't know who else. Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren. The problem right now is my Elizabeth Warren impression is just going to be my Hillary impression down an octave. Hello! The same. Because she's just as charming as Hillary. Uh, and then you get Cuomo, who's up here. Cuomo. Nobody needs a bazooka to shoot a rabbit. The NRA is evil. They want chainsaw bayonets to chop up small woodland creatures with. It is a very mean thing they do. Um, oh, also, Cuomo does not particularly love uh, America, from what I understand. Play 19, please. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We have not reached greatness. We will reach greatness when every American is fully engaged. We will reach greatness when discrimination and stereotyping against women, 51% of our population is gone, and every woman's full potential is realized and unleashed, and every woman is making her full contribution. And when I can pander shamelessly and continuously without saying a thing of any worth whatsoever, wow, America was never, America was never great. This is a, folks, this is a return to Obamaism. If this is what you want, we can go back to this. We can go back to politicians who claim that only through the vessel of voting for them Not can we make the country better, because remember, Trump, make America great again. No, no, no. Only then can we begin to atone for the sins of the past. Only then can we begin to get away from our failures as a country, because we are not a great country, the Democrats believe. We have never been a great country. We have to adhere to their principles, their ideology, and then perhaps we can become great. Whereas... What Trump has said is we're the greatest country in the world, the greatest military, greatest economy, greatest culture. Yes, that's right. I'll say it. American culture is the greatest culture in the world. The most freedom, the most prosperity, the most happiness for the greatest number of people ever, not just Americans, but for our fellow human beings around the globe. You see, you have to take that into account as well. We don't just grow in uh, our prosperity here at home. We also have prosperity that reverberates around the rest of the world and our way of life and our system has been so successful that others wish to emulate it america is more than just a little bit great america is the greatest ever all time for about eight years we were being told that we weren't so great that's when president trump came along and said let's make us great again his reference was to a restoration of what had always been there but what what had been suppressed what we had been told to abandon Much of what we knew about ourselves as Americans, we were told to forget. 
And then Trump comes along and he says, no, no, we shall revel in our strength. We shall believe once again in our exceptionalism. And we shall be proud of what we have done as a country overall. That doesn't mean everything. Nothing is perfect. No country is perfect. Every country has history to grapple with, has injustice in its past, has oppression, has tyranny. But we have less of it than any other country of our relative importance to the rest of the world by a huge factor. And also, when you look at the greatness and the good that has been done in the rest of the world because of us, through us, and in response to us, as Americans, uh, we have a lot to be proud of. And, and it's a remarkable thing that you have Cuomo there who believes that a, a, an effective way to pander to his audience is one, to claim that you know, there's this, still this vast discrimination against women that's going on in this country. You know, Until they reach their full potential. Uh, and then also just to say that we have never, uh, that America was never that great. Wow. What an inspiring message from a guy who's only able to stand up and say this and be the governor like a great state of New York because of much better men and women who came before him, who had an understanding. I don't just mean the founders. I mean generations and generations of people who were doing the work to make this the freest, greatest country ever. It is an interesting thing, folks, that the Democrats, culturally, the left has always taken a condescending view toward the very country that allows them in complete, not just safety, but from a privileged perch in society to condescend to the rest of that country. This is that sense of elitism that Trump has been so successfully exposing and pushing back on. Finally, somebody who shows up who says, I have been among them. I am a billionaire. I am famous. And I don't view my fellow Americans the way that they do. I want everyone to be able to pursue their own dream. I don't want to tell people that they didn't build that. I don't want to tell people they have to share the wealth more. These are philosophies, my friends, that have been tried in other places and are still being tried in other places with a very high failure rate of 100%. It's just a question of the timeline. Eventually, you will run into catastrophe if you try to build a society based not upon individual rights and individual interests, but a collective good that's decided by a group of elites. It is always a disaster. It's just a question of how quickly it gets there. Trump understands this. Cuomo clearly does not. But this is the problem the Democrats have, is that in this era of, uh, in this era of constant communication and the ability for all of us to see and hear what the Democrats really think, at the end of the day, the problem that Democrats are going to have in winning back the White House is that the American people do not like what Democrats are really about, not what they say. You know, you'll notice that in all these Midwestern states, I saw a piece today in, uh, I think it was Politico, which is the left-wing version of The Hill, where I work, uh, and they will go off and, and talk about how the candidates that are winning for the Democrats or that have won primaries uh, in the Midwest, they are boring and white. That's what the Democrats have been saying. Meanwhile, I'm just thinking to myself, they're just trying to run candidates who can win in these places and not playing identity politics because identity politics in a state uh, like, you know, Indiana or Missouri isn't necessarily going to be a winning formula for the Democrats. But that's still a problem for the left. You know, they have this focus on diversity over all else and on the 
intersectionality of American society, meaning the power dynamics between different people that are it's just levels of oppression. And this has become a, a psychological rot within the Democratic Party. And it's why it, they view American, not just American society, but American foreign policy and American uh, our, our way of, of economics as all in some way tainted by oppression. And clearly Cuomo thinks that this is a way that he can leap ahead of the rest of the Democrats in the field by, by embracing this nonsensical uh, ideology. Because it is not, I mean, it, it always falls into disrepair. It always falls into uh, self-contradiction. You can't hold these beliefs at the same time and, and, and still keep it all together. It's, it's uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, the good news is I don't think anything can take out Trump. Nobody's even close right now. They got nothing, folks. Uh, nothing at all. Uh, we've got much more coming up. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'll be right back. What if I told you that I could give you a little extra boost to get through your day or to get your day started? What if I said that you could just mix it in as a little added flavor to whatever you're already drinking or eating? Well, you can do that now with Strike Force Energy. Strike Force is veteran-owned. It was founded by a Navy SEAL. This is a guy who understands what it is to get in the fight and stay in the fight and win. Over the last three years, Strike Force Energy Drink has shipped millions of packets to troops abroad and at home. And right now, folks, they are bringing this proven battlefield liquid directly to your door. It's available in four flavors, has zero sugar and zero calories, only the best ingredients. Go check it out for yourself. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com and our discount code B-U-C-K at checkout. You just mix this in with, you know, 16 ounces or so of whatever drink you're already having. Add in that StrikeForce liquid, folks. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK for every packet you buy. They will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeForce Energy is fuel for the fight. Discrimination is alive and well in this country, my friends, in many ways. But discrimination against Christians... I mean the believing, traditional, actual God-is-God Christians, not the, like, social justice left open borders Marxist Christians. Anyway, but for actual Christians who, you know, the Bible and church and those are things that that matter to them, uh, they are being discriminated against. It is very real. I know the snide elites of the left will uh, mock people for saying this, but it's true. And we have a great example of this in that, once again, they are going after... Not just general uh, freedom of religion, but going after Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop. Now, you may be saying, Buck, hold on a second. Why do I know that name? Oh, that's right. Masterpiece Cake Shop was at the center of that Supreme Court case decided 7-2 earlier this year. That was all about this guy named Jack Phillips, who was making custom cakes in Colorado and a gay couple wanted him to make a gay wedding cake for them or a, a, a wedding cake for a gay couple that would have celebrated their nuptials, you know, however they wanted to be designed. And he, because of his religious beliefs, was willing to sell them a cake, folks. He wasn't turning them down. He wasn't saying, I won't serve you. He was saying, I will not use my creative talents in celebration of this. A, a very good way of understanding this case is to say if you walked into a Jewish bake shop here in New York City and said, I want you to uh, draw all over this cake, you know, uh, swastikas and pro Hitler slogans. And that person said, sorry, I'll sell you a cake, but I'm not going to do that. 
We would all understand, right? I mean, maybe, and you take it even further. Are we going to make the, you know, the family of, or or even still a, a living uh, Holocaust survivor, write swastikas all over a cake that you know he in his private business or she in her private business is, uh, no, all right, we we wouldn't do that. But but you know, Colorado with this civil rights commission, which is a total kangaroo court, all about social justice and leftist causes, they went after this guy Jack Phillips, and the Supreme Court said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission violated his free exercise of religion. And they were they, there were uh, clear signs of hatred. Remember, it's, these are the anti-hate people of hatred toward Jack, uh, toward Jack Phillips from the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Just, you know, uh, I mean, basically just disdain for this whole Christian-y thing and his traditional marriage position. And all. Ugh, they thought it was just disgusting. They made that very clear. That's why, folks, it wasn't a 5-4 decision. It was a 7-2 decision. Now, you might say the Colorado Civil Rights Commission would back down. Nope, they are sanctioning him once again. The same individual, folks, targeted. This is hounding somebody now. This is going after someone. The left, the progressive left, wants to make an example out of Jack Phillips. Even though the Supreme Court agreed with him, they simply will not Stop. And this is this is a part of the problem of the narrowness of the decision, this Supreme Court decision. But let, let me just first tell you what's going on here. So he wouldn't do the gay wedding cake. And so what's happened now is that right after that Supreme Court decision came down, um, somebody called a lawyer called Masterpiece Cake Shop and, quote, asked Masterpiece Cake Shop to create a custom cake with a blue exterior and a pink interior, a cake that. Uh, would have celebrated the transition from male to female because this this alleged lawyer uh, had come out as transgender. Uh, folks, the same person, according to David French here, National Review, uh, made a number of requests to Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop, including asking earlier for a birthday cake for Satan that would feature an image of Satan smoking marijuana. That was the same person. A few days before that, this is all going to Masterpiece Cake Shop, folks. They are, this is straight out of Alinsky. They're freezing the target. They're destroying the target. And the target is Jack Phillips because now Supreme Court sided with him. So now they're just trying to take him down any way they can. This guy's a baker. Get your cake somewhere else. This is a reminder, folks. The real tyrants are on the left. It's true. The real tyrants are on the left in American society. today. It's a fact. They're always talking, oh, fascism, the rise of fat, please. Conservatives hate fascism. I don't like to be told to do anything. I don't even like paying my taxes. I don't like being told to do anything. Certainly not going to be a fascist and certainly not going to be a tyrant over somebody else. I want everybody to have the maximum individual liberty they possibly can without a completely disordered and anarchic society. That's my view. But I digress. A few days before that, when they asked for the Satan cake, they asked for an upside-down cross, the same caller, an upside-down cross, under the head of Lucifer, and they reminded Phillips that religion is a protected class. So you, know, you know what they're doing now? Now they're trying to use this religion versus religion argument of Satanists deserve, that you can't discriminate against Satanists if you're a Christian when it comes to cake baking. Um, so, <sighs> they, they emailed also and said, I'm thinking of a three-tiered white cake, cheesecake frosting, and the topper should be a large figure of Satan licking a nine-inch black blank, I will not say the word, 
I would like the blank to be an actual working model that can be turned on before we unveil the cake. I can provide it for you if you don't have the means. I mean, talking about putting, you know, sexual paraphernalia on a cake. I mean, they're just, folks, they're just hounding this guy. This is pure malice. And the problem here is the Supreme Court didn't do what it needed to do in this decision. The Supreme Court needed to say, sorry, you have to respect people's uh, religious beliefs when it comes to expression, because that's what we're not talking about. You, it's not you can't sell and don't listen to the idiots. You don't actually read these cases, don't know anything. I read the case. I can actually tell you what's going on here. It, it's not that they're denying any service to people. It's that they're denying the specifics of service that requires First Amendment consent for the activity, which is an entirely different part of protected speech. It's not that this is a public accommodation that has to be open to any and all people of, you know, that, that walk in of any persuasion. It's it's bake that cake with what I say on that cake. I mean, at what point do they draw the line? Can you can you have somebody renounce God on a cake that you're paying for? So you force a religious Christian to say God is dead. I want you to write that on a cake signed Jack Phillips. Why, why won't you do that? I'm a paying customer. What's the problem? These are the games that the left is playing, folks, and it's because the Supreme Court needed to come out and say that you cannot force somebody to violate the rights of conscience. Instead, all they said was, don't be wildly bigoted against Christians, Colorado Civil Rights uh, or you know Human Rights Commission, whatever it is. Well, guess what? Colorado Human Rights Commission didn't get the message, folks, and the social justice left shows its tyrannical side once again. Only half the people you campaigned for won their primaries okay. so far, so maybe... Maybe there's a little there's a little taint to socialism that turns people I don't, off. I don't really think so. I, I think the real issue is that the ideas that we have been talking about, almost without exception, Stephen, are now ideas that are mainstream ideas that are supported by the vast majority of the American people. Yeah, except uh, I think about 25 percent of Americans, the latest poll I saw today, would vote for a socialist. This is why I've, I've been of the belief for a long time that Bernie Sanders is one of these. He, he's a candidate who the left is always going to say, oh, woulda, coulda, shoulda with him. But at the national level, it, it just it just wouldn't work. The, the, the big enemy of socialism and socialists. Well, one of them is history. But in a contemporary sense, the other one is numbers. This is why, like, Alexandria Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez is like, like, whatever. Like, we'll just find a way to pay for it with, like, the things that come with the money stuff and the places with all the money and the things. Like, I want free stuff. You want free stuff. Like, free stuff. And people hear this and they go, well, if somebody that the press is holding up as the future of the Democratic Party is capable of uh, of convincing themselves that this is a good idea, well, then clearly there, there must be some way to make this happen, right? There must be some way to pay for all this or do all these things. Uh, but the problem is, no, there isn't a way. In, in fact, you see, this is what always gets left out of this equation um, by the socialists in this country. And increasingly, the Democratic Party is, is actually a socialist party. They don't call themselves that because there is a there's a uh, still a an aversion among the American people to that term. But the policies are people keep saying, oh, why don't we have something like they have in Europe? It's like, OK, well. We already have a trillion-dollar welfare state. We already have essentially free community college. It's almost free, if not free. Uh, we have medical care for all starting at age 65. And we have Social Security. I mean, you know, we do have a lot of programs in place that 
are that borrow from what you would consider to be democratic socialism in in Europe. These people just want to push it even further, though. And what they won't tell you is that the only way to even get close to the kind of programs that they want. And this is why Bernie Sanders thinks it's, it's mainstream. Everybody wants to do this. This is the wave of the future. Well, it's the wave of the future until people have to look at a price tag, right? It, Bernie Sanders' version of socialism is to send somebody into a store and say, look at all these things. Do you want these things? And the person says, well, yeah, yeah. And you say, but you, you can't see the price tag. And, and let me tell you this. Not only can you not see the price tag, somebody else is going to pay for it. You're not going to pay for it. And that's, that's the, the fundamental lie here. I know it, it's used over and over, but Margaret Thatcher's line about the problem with socialism is that you always run out of other people's money is true. It is timeless because it is so accurate. And Sanders going on Colbert, you notice Colbert doesn't push back that much on this. If you want what Denmark has, for example, you're, or let's, let's take Sweden. I think that's the, that is the prototypical example of what Democrats point to is, by the way, Mike, uh, I think there were 60 cars lit on fire earlier this week by Swedish, quote, youths. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that those youths were not named uh, Sven and Sven Olaf. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go even further and suggest that just based on the headlines here, uh, without digging too deep. And you can let me know, Mike, if I'm getting this one wrong, that some of them would be more recent arrivals in Sweden. 60 cars lit on fire, folks. Up to more than 100 now. Up, up to more than 100. There you go. Burning down cars left and right in neighborhoods in Sweden. This is something they're not used to. By the way, there's also been grenade attacks in Sweden, something they're not used to, courtesy of some of the more recent refugee population arrivals there. But put that aside for a moment. And by the way, I've actually talked to Swedes about this. And that's where I speak Swede. All right, I'll stop. Uh, but I, I, I've talked to some of them, and they, there's an anxiety that they won't discuss in this country. There's a reason why they lie about the crime statistics. There's a reason why they don't want people to know the full extent of what's going on in Sweden, meaning the Swedish people. Because when they start to find out what the demographic change has been in that country, what it means for Swedish society, uh, the ones who haven't been brainwashed are saying, maybe this is a problem. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe this is unsustainable. How large a non-Swedish speaking foreign based welfare or, or foreign entrant into Sweden welfare state can you really have before you overtax the system? Uh, and, and this is where I would say, you know, the problem with the Bernie Sanders approach on this, because people they we this is what ends up happening. We point to Venezuela. They point to Sweden. OK, well, which one is a more apt example um, in Sweden? You have a middle class that first of all, you have a very high uh, respect for rule of law, and that's across the board. Swedes just culturally o- obey rules and regulations. This is just the case. Whereas I spoke to the U.S. ambassador, in fact, two senior ambassadors to Mexico and other Latin American countries, and they said that you know ninety percent, ninety-seven percent of crimes in Mexico are never punished. You can imagine what that does to the sense of rule of law in a country. But Sweden, which also is true now in Venezuela, I mean, there's no law and order. Uh, Sweden has very, very longstanding cultural respect for the for institutions and for regulations and for order. It also has very high taxes on everybody. So if Bernie Sanders wants to make this case that Americans want democratic socialism here like they have it in Europe, Bernie Sanders needs to go around telling truck drivers and carpenters and 
Uh, you know, he's got to tell people like my Uncle James, who's a, a locksmith and a carpenter, hey, you have to pay 60% of your income to the federal government. It doesn't matter what you're really making. You have to write that check. You know, everybody's got to be contributing. Whereas we have a country right now where half of people don't pay any federal income tax. Half. 50% of adults, no federal income tax. Wow. That, that's a, that's a, an interesting state of affairs, isn't it? So he's not even being honest about um, he's not even being honest about what it would take to get where he wants to go. And also, as I've told you, Sweden and Denmark, people in Norway doesn't count because Norway is like Saudi Arabia with Norwegians, meaning that they got a ton of oil. They have a huge sovereign wealth fund that funds a lot of their, you know, that funds a lot of their social spending and welfare program, you know, social welfare programs. It's also a country of very few people, relatively speaking, a small population. 49 to 60%. Wow. What is it? Uh, no, I, I'm uh, just reading here about the uh, tax rate. It's a, uh, What's the tax rate in Sweden, Mike? So if you make 32,000, is it krona? Krona. 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 Uh, you're taxed between 49 and 60%. What am I saying on the show all the time, Mike? You know, Papa Buck does his research. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm telling people. Yeah. You, Bernie Sanders, if you want Sweden, thank you, Mike, for doing the, you know, Mike is like the sniper doing Overwatch, making sure that I'm hitting the center of the target all the time. But, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to know that my my research on this in the past is still accurate. You, if, if you want Sandersism in America, you have to tell house painters you're paying 50% of your income in taxes now. And and by the way, if if the American people want to do that, then we can talk about Free college for all, free health care for all. You know, then we can have that discussion. And I still think it's a terrible idea. But short of that, this is magic bean that will grow into like never, neverland thinking. This is crazy. Meanwhile, Sanders was on the Colbert Report, which I, mean, I haven't been on the Colbert show. You know, kind of rough, Stephen. Makes me sad. Actually, that's not true. My hands, my hands were on the show when I was making my eggs. Let's go to Buck's eggs. Those, those are some good eggs. Uh, but here's what Sanders said about Pelosi's leadership. Yeah, I think Nancy has done a good job. Now, let me say, but no, she may not done a good job yeah. the fact that she's a woman. Uh, I think they have demonized her. The Republican Party them. is bankrupt, bankrupt. intellectually. Uh, they are not going to campaign on their views of giving tax breaks to billionaires and cutting Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So they have to come up with some demon. I guess their demon now is Nancy Pelosi. You know, another word for or, or, or an explanation, when Bernie Sanders says Republicans are intellectually bankrupt, what he means is they can do math. Uh, because we are 20 now heading to 21 trillion dollars in debt. This will become unsustainable, folks. And the, the problem with this debt issue is that when you when it is when everyone has to admit that it's a problem, it is too late. Um, and and all that's going on is the generation right now that's in political power, the boomers, sorry, are affording themselves benefits that future generations will not have and leading those and leaving those future generations with the tab. That is mathematically what is going on. And people, they call me, they get mad. They say, oh, Buck, I paid into Medicare. I paid into Social Security. Well, the average Medicare recipient takes out twice what they paid in over their entire lifetime. The math doesn't work, folks. Math doesn't work. Well, the debt keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually debt service payments will start to crowd out other spending. And when people, if people lose confidence in the dollar, we've got big problems. But, but before we even get to that, I don't 
think that anybody really needs to take Sanders or Ocasio-Cortez or any of these people seriously until they're going out there saying, I want health care for all. It's going to cost you half of what you make. You in the steel mill, you in the, uh, you know, in the third grade classroom, uh, police officers, uh, you know, you're all paying 50 percent of your income in taxes. When Democrats will make that case, honestly, I will listen to them. Short of that, it's just demagoguery. Uh, short of that, it's Bernie Sanders hoping that the rest of us are, are either unwilling or incapable of doing basic arithmetic. Uh, and, and I really hope that, you know, the, uh, the Amer- American youth, now I sound like a grumpy old man, but it's true, just learn something about what's, what, really, what socialism actually means and how it works in practice. Learn something about it. You know, I'll tell you this, Mike. Would you want to start, a, would you want to start your business right now in Sweden? You'll notice not a lot of Americans are like, let me go start my business in Denmark. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why people are coming here and we're not all running over there. Trust me, I mean, there's plenty of reasons. Plenty of reasons to like Sweden. I won't get on them right now, but, you know, Sweden can be a fun place to be. Uh, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. If you would like to, please do uh, light up those lines, team. We have much more coming up. And uh, in the third hour, I'm going to talk to you about immigration and also dogs. I think they're doing it in order to put pressure on others in the administration not to kiss and tell or not to get a job and then try to make money on a book so soon after leaving the employ of the person and the government. The question is whether or not a contract is enforceable. That contract may violate principles of freedom of speech. That's why it's a complicated case. In general, I think government employees should be free to right. disclose what they want, except if it's classified material. So if I had to make a prediction, I would think she would probably win this arbitration. Can they silence Omarosa? Can anybody silence Omarosa? That's probably an even better question. <laughs> we, we will get into this now. We actually have an attorney here with us who's going to be representing the side of freedom, truth and justice in this case. Uh, we have Emily Campagna with us. She is an attorney, legal analyst, uh, sports analyst, and uh, also hosted The Five recently on Fox. Is here on TV. Emily Campagna, great to have you back. Thanks for having me back. All right. Omarosa, people are saying they're going to try to shut her down with these NDAs. What's going on with these NDAs? Can the White House forget about the classified stuff? That's totally different. There's federal statutes that govern that. Other NDAs, campaign, White House, can they shut somebody up with those things? Are they enforceable? How does this work? Right. It's kind of, you know, I hate to give that typical attorney evasive answer, but it kind of depends. And I think what's important for listeners to understand here is that, first of all, the NDA that um, that has just been that the enforcement has just been filed in arbitration. That's with the Trump campaign. So it's a whole different ball of wax than the White House to begin with. But the thing about arbitration is that it opens a whole can of worms in terms of the um what happens with it? And you're essentially saying, look, we want the efficiency of an arbitrator, and it's generally behind closed doors, so it's super secret and whatnot. But there's also a whole host of information and subpoenaing and documents and evidence that Omarosa might um, basically uh, petition the quote-unquote court or the arbiter to release. So it could backfire tremendously is what I'm trying to say. And I also think that For listeners, you know, arbitration is generally, it's not like a court. It's usually a practicing attorney who isn't a judge by profession. Um, And there's a lot of issues with it as well in terms of appealability. So if this doesn't go the way that the, you know, officially Trump campaign, uh, non-officially White House wants it to go, then there's not a lot of room to move forward. And if it's not 
if it is ruled in their favor or even in hers, what's the enforcement like? What damages can they prove? That's another huge element of this that I think is missing in the kind of larger conversation. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to convince somebody to say or you have to convince, as you said, the, the arbiter in this case, right, not not a jury um, that Donald Trump has suffered some kind of harm that given all the 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 you know, public right to know with what's going on with the presidency and everything else that he should be compensated by a former employee. I, I just I, it seems to me like kind of a stretch. But the White House has been thrown thrown around this uh, NDA situation like they actually think they can get some mileage out of it. Well, and what happens if she just ignores this whole thing and just, like she says, she doesn't believe she's bound by the contract. Well, let's just say that the arbiter says, no, you, you are bound by the contract and you do have to have to retain this confidentiality. Well, first of all, you can argue 80% of the cat is out of the bag that we know of. And you could also argue, well, even if she goes ahead and does it, what is she going to be liable for? I, I think one tactic that um, the White House could participate or could pursue would be um, financially. And essentially, if they sue her, if they actually sue her, and they obviously would have to be specific, the Trump campaign sues her in a court of law, then they could essentially stall, ring this out for as long as possible so that she's paying a tremendous amount for defense bills. But given the attention they keep shining on her, it seems like she's probably profiting from her book sales at this point. So the best remedy would likely to just stop talking about it now for, for some companies I, I do know I, I think of of NDAs that involve trade secrets right I mean if there's if you can actually point to real uh, monetary damages from the release of specific trade secrets information right like if you work for Apple and sign an NDA I feel like the Apple police can come for you right I mean they, they take that stuff very seriously so there, there are places that aren't government uh, that can still that, that I believe have come after people successfully if there's very specific information that they've I think even somebody did this with a, a trading algorithm at Goldman Sachs or one of those places. Right. I mean, did have there been cases, you know, of Emily, where people have gotten nailed on NDA violations? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an important distinction here that in the proprietary world, in the trade secret world and even in the um knowledge of an industry or of that particular company absolutely and there the onus would be on the um employee to prove that they that the company was not damaged in some way um and that by he or she jumping ship or getting a job in the same industry too soon or whatever that that indeed um didn't have the effect that the company is arguing but i also want to say that in that realm it's adhered to you know much much more I mean, it, riddled in those industries, especially in tech, especially in even healthcare and the biosciences, like that's people absolutely adhere to those NDAs. Um, I think for the reasons that we're just talking about, which is it's almost a far right. more. There's real monetary uh, damages. Well, Omarosa is not going to stop yeah. talking no matter what. I think we'd all agree on that. Everyone, EmilyCampagno.com. Check her out on Twitter, Emily Campagno. Emily, thank you so much. Come back soon. Phil, we just hope no one in the dog community is watching. Does this president really physically not like dogs? Uh, that's right, Brian. He's actually the first president in more than 100 years who's not had a dog uh, as a pet in the White House. The he monster. has lived with a dog before when he first got married to his first wife, Ivana. Uh, she brought with her a poodle. Uh, he resisted the dog. He didn't want to have anything to do with the poodle, but she said the poodle's coming along. Chappie's coming along. Turns out Chappie didn't like Trump very much because whenever Trump would come near Ivana's closet, Chappie would bark at him territorially. <laughs> Ivana writes about this in her memoir. This is, a few this is a new level of oppo 
where a story about how a dog by his ex-wife 20 years ago didn't like him. And so this just goes to show you there is nothing about Trump that they can't find a way to turn it into Trump is the worst. They they hate him. There's nothing that that is safe from this now. Is it true? Brian, first of all, Brian Williams coming back. The fact that we still have to deal with this guy is hilarious, right? Just goes to show you, it's all about which executives like you at these places. Well, there I was, killing Osama bin Laden with a sh- with, with uh, my bare hands. You know, it's like, okay, Brian Williams is still out there doing his thing, but Donald Trump, do dogs dislike him? News tonight at 10. Uh, and, and they're pushing this whole thing. And you're how is this a news story? How is this, first of all, I don't like poodles that much, so I'll just get that out of the way. But how is this a news story? I'm going to tell you something. I actually met, you know, this is funny, a little, little side note for you, Producer Mike. I actually met his first wife's dogs on many, on many an occasion. They were very small and very yappy. I love dogs tremendously. I think dogs are incredible. They're, they're a gift for all of us. Ivana's dogs were little, you know, a lot of little, like, ankle biters. Not, not my favorite dogs. You know, they were very, uh, they had, like, the little... Little frou frou haircuts with little ribbons and things, too. You know, it was not... This isn't like Trump didn't like a yellow, la- a yellow lab named Rufus. This is like Trump didn't like dogs that are... Look like they're going to be held by an old lady in one hand. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just not my thing. It's just not my jam. But notice how Trump is a bad guy for this. That, that's the, the real takeaway is... How do we make n- n- now add to the list of Trump's a racist, he's a misogynist, he's a homophobe, he's a he's a traitor, he's uh, crazy. He's now we have to add dogs don't like him either to this list. And this is breaking. This is Brian Williams. Yeah, we did a lot of research on this one. Only one photo of Trump with a dog. Oh, gosh, man. And, and they wonder why we don't take them seriously. They wonder why this is uh, a moment in time when people don't have a lot of respect for the press that the guest that brian williams had on said that's right brian he's the first president in more than 100 years that's not had a dog as a pet in the white house so what first of all he he likes to travel around a lot and i'll let you know that you know having the dog i mean do they have room for the dog in air force one somewhere i mean how does that even go i'm sure they do but you know he probably doesn't want to deal with it do they have dogs at mar-a-lago that he can play with i'm sure they do why are we even talking about this why? But, but a better question is, why is Brian Williams talking about this on TV? Uh, but one thing that's interesting, and hat tip the Daily Caller here, um, there are a lot of photos of Trump with dogs on the Internet. So why is Williams going on air saying we could only find one photo of Trump with a dog? There are lots of photos of Trump with dogs. Better question is, who the heck cares? They are so deranged about this guy that they view things that nobody cares about hearing when it comes to the president as a possible. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. Obama had a couple of dogs, Bo and whatever. I didn't like those dogs. I didn't, I didn't, I, those would be very low on my... But I didn't have a problem with Obama because he's allowed to choose ugly dogs. That's his choice. You know, I think they were the... And they were the designer dogs, too. They were like, uh, not cockapoos, but like something poos. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? The, not a Sheltie poo. I, what, yeah. what do they call them? I don't know. You know what I mean? They yeah, were talking about, but oh, golden do. I think they were golden doodles. Go- oh, golden doodle. I think they were golden doodles. They weren't poos. They were doodles. Uh, I don't see Trump's dogs or anyone's dogs as really having all that much. Although I will say that the presidents, as I've seen, uh, they don't pick. The, they don't make the best picks when it comes to canines. If we're really going to dig into this, you know, if, if we're going to be breaking news here on presidential canines, 
You know, I've, I've, did, has any president in recent memory had like a golden retriever or a Labrador or an English bulldog, anything that's really cool? I think not. They all go for like, uh, you know, cocker spaniels. I mean, that's okay. They're all right. You know what I mean? What do you, Brandy, don't, are you, are you not a dog guy? I am allergic to dogs. Oh my gosh. I am a mess. You know, my, you know, my girlfriend, Miss Molly, is actually allergic to dogs, but she loves them so much that she does not care and just takes Zyrtec so she can be around them. Well, my girlfriend has a cat. I'm less allergic to cats, but I take Claritin. Uh, so we uh, all have okay. our problems. There you go. Yeah, hey, hey, like I can't eat a piece of bread without like probably having to go to the ER. Although so. speaking of, and pardon the phrasing, speaking of poos, uh, I grew up with a poodle, a toy poodle, was not allergic. However, my mom's dog now, a multi-poo, supposed to be hypoallergenic, I'm allergic to. Ah. I'm the ultimate nerd. Maybe you just don't like the dog. <laughs> you know, a long time ago, I dated a girl who had a cat uh, that she just referred to as as a gordita because it was so fat. It was like this fat. And I figured it's a fat cat, so it should be like lethargic and, and maybe kind of friendly like Garfield. False. That was the meanest cat ever. The cat used to scratch me. That cat was not friendly at all. And I should have. That was a wet. That's what you call a red flag in the dating scene. Whenever somebody has a pet that you have to be careful around, red flag. Because the pet is always a reflection of the owner, folks. This is this is a... So if Brian Williams has given you anything, it's just remember that, all right? That the pet is a reflection. So Trump doesn't have a dog, so we can't do any analysis here. But if you spend time around somebody's dog, you know who that person is. Their anxieties, their neuroses. What do you got for me, Mike? Gerald Ford had a Goldie. There we go. He's the only one. He's I mean, the only I'm going one. through a list yeah, here. He's the, he's the only one. And Gerald Ford's a real American. So yeah. there you go. You know, that's no, no surprise there. Got a, got a bum rap for his time in the, uh, in the presidency. But all right, we got to let's talk about some serious stuff here coming up. Immigration. Got a comparison of Democrats then and Trump now. It might surprise you. Stay with me. Thanks to the president's actions. We've seen a crisis unfolding on our southern border and across the country. Crisis was willfully and purposefully created by this president through his zero tolerance policy at the border. We all know how we got here. The situation's a big mess. It's a big mess, they say, on immigration. You'll notice that they have no solutions. Uh, they, they have absolutely nothing to offer up in terms of what to do at the at the border. Um, they have nothing that they can, can, cause the alternative is to do what was being done before, which is anybody who shows up at the border. I mean, this is what Chuck Schumer must want. And I want everybody to remember this going into the midterms. The alternative is that if you show up at the border and you got kids, you get let into the United States and are told to show up maybe in five years for an immigration hearing. That's what, that's what the Obama administration pushed for. That is what they Wanted it. And what I, what I really think is important is that right now they're telling you all on all this immigration stuff, they're pretending like this is, you know, they're they're the moral ones. How could people be such monsters on these on these issues of just family uh, separation? And it's so terrible. And there's all the xenophobia. They say all these things. Meanwhile, it was just a few years ago that there were folks that were sounding very much like the loudest and most critical voices of Republicans in the Democratic Party on the issue of immigration. We have a little mashup here, courtesy of producer Mike, of what Chuck Schumer sounded like on immigration back in the Obama era, back in the Obama years, and what Trump sounds like now. And this might shock some of you to hear, so let's play it. We use phrases like undocumented workers. 
We convey a message to the American people that their government is not serious about combating illegal immigration. Now they like to use the word undocumented because it's more political. I don't use that word. They're illegal immigrants. They came over illegally. Some are wonderful people and they've been here for a while. They got to go out. Above all else, the American people want their government to be serious about protecting the public, enforcing the rule of law, and creating a rational system of legal immigration that will proactively fit our needs rather than reactively responding to future waves of illegal immigration. Well, we want an immigration policy that's fair, equitable, but that's going to protect our people. What the American people are pleading for is sanity and common sense in our immigration system. People who enter the United States without our permission are illegal aliens, and illegal aliens should not be treated the same as people who entered the U.S. legally. You cannot obtain legal status or become a citizen of the United States by illegally entering our country. Can't do it. And you'll notice that there was a lot of similarity there, wasn't there, folks? That was Chuck Schumer, most powerful Democrat senator in the country, I think you would clearly say right now. I don't think there's really a there's not even really a second choice. And Donald Trump now. The Democrats used to pretend that they wanted border security, used to pretend that they were for the American worker and knew that that the issue of supply and demand when it comes to labor does not go away just because it's politically convenient for Democrats. That when you have a supply issue with workers, guess what? You pay them more. All of a sudden you have the workers that you need. This is what this is not really that complicated, but it's made complicated by people who are lying about this, who refuse to tell the truth about what is really happening in the world, in the realm of immigration. And I I sit here and, and I play this back for you. I could even read to you from some of the editorials written by the New York Times back in the late 90s, where they were saying that illegal immigration is a problem. It's destroying our sovereignty. It pushes down wages of the American worker, particularly, I would note, illegal immigrants compete with uh, disproportionately with the African-American community, with black Americans who are you know, trying to uh, move themselves up the economic ladder, that illegal immigrants compete for those jobs and, and create problems in the black community. You know, this was all consensus opinion within the Democrat Party for a long time. This was all the way that they viewed it until things started to change, until Democrats realized that the key to unified, unipolar, uniparty control of the entire U.S. government, at least at the federal level, was bring in as many illegals as possible from disparate cultures who generally don't speak English, don't have a, uh, a background that would make them able to compete quickly in, in the American economy, except in the most uh, low-skill, low-wage jobs, and bring in as many of those people as possible. They'll be more dependent on government, and they will vote for Democrats. It's, a, it's really straightforward. It's, it's actually not a, a complicated plan that they are executing, but we should at least be honest that that's what they're doing. They should be honest that's what they're What happened to Chuck Schumer? Illegal aliens were bad years ago. Undocumented was a nonsense, nonsense term years ago. I mean, give me a break, folks. I just saw, I know this is a total. What's this thing with Ruth Bader Ginsburg? It's like some kind of pop culture hero now. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an old lady. 
Okay, she I, I'm not impressed by her workouts. She's not a hip hop star. They, they got to stop with this stuff. It's so pathetic. It's so cloying. This whole, oh, RBG is such a badass. No, she's an old lady who's a lawyer who's on the Supreme Court. That's it. I just saw that they're doing a CNN documentary on R, the, uh, the notorious RBG. It's, it's so, there's RBG action figures. What is wrong with people? Anyway, it's just, it's, look, I'm not saying that I'm the arbiter of what's cool, but she is not cool. You can say you think she's intellectual, she's eloquent, she's important for, you know, the liberal left to get what they want through the Supreme Court. They can't get through the legislature. But don't tell me that she's some, she's some pop culture icon. It's just creepy, Democrats. Anyway, so back, back to, sorry, that was a, I just saw the commercial for it on CNN. Back to uh, immigration here. Um, Trump is where the Democrat Party was 10 years ago, and now they say that he's a racist. And in fact, now that's the main opposition on the immigration argument is they're just trying to make this a moral a moral issue in fact they're trying to engage in a kind of moral blackmail of the republican party of everybody who supports trump by saying that it's all about race and racism Uh, you have people from major platforms who say that all of trump supporters are racist Uh, you can simply believe that racism and white supremacy produce better outcomes for everyone that black and brown people will be better off, too, if white people are just in charge. If you just follow this man, what he, what, what he wants to do, you'll be better off for this. That People think like that. That 42% has turned a blind eye to what he's doing, or they are actively cheering it if you look at some of those rallies, what he's doing. They're part of it. There's no separation for me between the person who has the racist philosophy and the person who supports the person with the racist philosophy. Not all the Germans who stayed silent while they mm-hmm. dragged people into gas chambers hated the Jews, but you were silent and then you let it happen. This is a, a repeat of what you've heard before, which is that if you support Trump at all, you are complicit in everything that they say that Trump that's doing is evil. That was Charles Blow of The New York Times. And his arguments on on this issue are the same as they are on every issue, which is that it's always about race. It's always racism. I never hear anything from him that doesn't revolve around charges of racism. I've been on TV the same time he's been on TV at CNN. And I can tell you that he has he's got one storyline he really likes to talk about. And that's how racist America is all the time. Uh, and that is as he's going on national TV and collecting six figure paychecks for uh, his New York Times gig and for CNN, I'm sure, and probably also for lots of speaking engagements across the country where he just talks about how racist uh, the American people are. Uh, and liberals like to hear this. I, I don't, you know, Liberals have been so infused with this, with both white guilt and the only way that they think they can overcome white guilt, which is to agree with all this progressive, race-obsessed demagoguery. And immigration is where you see this in some of the most profound ways. I mean, immigration now, if you are not effectively for open borders, you're considered a racist. That's what they've done. That's the new rallying cry. Because they won't be able to make an open argument about why open borders is good for the country. They're not going to be in a position to look you in the eye and say, you know what would be a great idea? We just took millions and millions and millions more people on top of the millions and millions we already have who are overwhelming the processes of assimilation in this country who are maintaining incredibly close ties to their country of origin because their country of origin is within walking distance of the United States. It's a very different thing, folks, than when you come from across an ocean and realize this is it. Uh, If you say any of this now, they're just going to tell you that you are 
racist. That is the uh, that is the new storyline. That is a new thing that you will. Well, I should say it's it's just a repeat of the old storyline, but that's where we are right now. Uh, That's that's how the situation is unfolding. And and on immigration, you know, apparently Chuck Schumer was racist 10 years ago. That's what I find so strange. Apparently, Obama was a bigot when he went into office because he was in favor of traditional marriage. He was not somebody who uh, was supportive of gay marriage. So he must have been a bigot then, but they allowed him to be a bigot. The same people that are telling you today that Trump and his ideology are uh, it's it's you're not even allowed to support him politically without yourself being a racist. They're willing to say that supporting Obama while he was opposed to single sex marriage, same sex marriage was uh, was fine. These people have no principles, folks. They have they have no argument that is not rooted in emotion and emotional blackmail. It's just all virtue signaling mixed with hysteria Uh, mixed with rage these days, and that's really troubling. Uh, And I wish it weren't the case, but that's where we are. And on immigration, I'm going to continue to hammer this because it's important we have real conversations about it. Uh, They boycott a brewery because Trump liked, uh, or or the owner liked Trump's tax cuts. We'll talk about that coming up. Brewers make the best beer in the world. And the tax reform was a very big deal for all of us. They have boycott Sam Adams, folks. That's right. That is how the liberals are playing the game now. They're even willing to boycott Sam Adams because the uh, the mayor, um, well, because the owner, rather, of Samuel Adams said that the tax cut, he didn't even say he loved Trump. He just said that the uh, the tax cut that Trump put into effect helped his business. And I just think this is perfect. You have liberals in response to free speech boycotting a an iconic domestic american beer named for a patriot and founding father i feel like that's a that's pretty much a summation of of contemporary uh, or modern liberalism you know they're even willing to boycott sam adams now this is just uh, by the somerville massachusetts mayor joseph curtatone um, whom i i have to say i, I am not I was not familiar with Mr. Curtitone's work before this, or Curtitone, or whatever his name. Curtitone probably is the way he says his name. Uh, but this just goes to show you how sensitive all of the uh, all the liberals are about all this stuff when they are unwilling to even give a little bit of leeway to a, as I said, an iconic American brand like Samuel Adams. He said the mayor of Somerville, Massachusetts. By the way, do we know how not very big, right? It's one of these Massachusetts towns where. People still kind of walk around in breaches a few times a year and carry muskets, you know, do some reenactments. Uh, that, that he will never drink Sam Adams beer again because the founder of or co-founder of that Boston brewery said that, uh, that he liked the Trump tax cut. See, this is really the expectation, and this is the, the important point here. This is the expectation of, of, of liberals today. You aren't even allowed to say, uh, you aren't even allowed to say what is good for you or good for your business without that being used against you. you. You aren't even allowed to take the position that a tax cut, which just means more money for more money that you are able to keep, less money that the government takes away from you, to say that is a good thing is now a deeply politicized statement, so politicized that you should be boycott for it, boycotted for this whole process. Uh, and that's just insane. Right. It is insane. By the way, Brandon, if I were to ask you, what is the 
I haven't had beer in almost 10 years now because I can't because beer is essentially liquid gluten. What is the greatest domestic American beer right now? Well, you're asking somebody who hasn't had a drink in two and a half years. Really? Yeah. Is that just that just cause? It just decided it was wasn't. You know, my, I have a brother. Who does, I have a brother who's like, I just don't drink. No reason other than he's like, why? <laughs> I was never a heavy drinker, yeah. so when I did, I enjoy say, uh, Sam Adams. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I feel like Sam Adams for me is the most is the most iconically in terms of its imagery, at least the most iconically American beer. But How I about can't... this, when I did drink, I would have Sam Adams Winter. I like there we the go. Seasonal. I would go with the Sam Adams Seasonals too. Look, it's not going to hurt its sales because no one's even really heard of this place, so who really knows? But I, I do think that when you're boycotting a great American beer because you don't like what the founder said about tax cuts, maybe it's time to reevaluate some of those priorities a little bit. Maybe it's time to take a step back and say, hey, not absolutely everything has to be political. There is some space in life to enjoy San Adams winter and maybe even summer ale without arguing about politics. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Indeed, Roll Call time. Everybody's favorite time, at least my favorite time. It's where I get to uh, lean on the thoughts and insights and all the stuff that you bring to the table. So uh, there you have it. I very much appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, getting into it with you today. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck if you want to be a part of it. By the way, I'm coming to you from the from the NYC Freedom Hut. Ah, New York. It's just like a breath of fresh, stinky air every time I come up here, man. It's amazing. This, I, You know, one thing I always noticed when I was in different parts of the world, especially back in my agency days, is how different places smell. And, you know, New York smells very different. And I don't mean it in any one place, all right? I know that, you know, you go to, like, the Port Authority and you're in the wrong corner and you smell things. No, no, I just mean the overall air in that city has a different brand. Do you know what I'm talking about? It just smells different. You know, D.C. smells different from New York. I can tell you, Kabul smells very different from Baghdad. And, you know, they both smell very different from anywhere else in America. That's usually because of the burning of trash, as well as uh, there's a lot of burning of human waste that goes on, which then aerosolizes it. Yeah, you can figure out on your own what that means. It's not good. When you're coughing, you're like, wait, what am I? Oh, that's not good. All right, all right, all right. So Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon. Roll call. Uh, Erica writes, rebuttal to Trump is destroying American institutions under Obama VA employees, through serious efforts, made sure vets didn't get the care they deserved while guaranteeing those same employees got their undeserved productivity bonuses. Under Obama, the ATF lost the credibility of keeping guns out of the hands of criminals with Fast and Furious. Under Obama, the Secret Service let an uninvited and unvetted couple into a White House function while investigating a suspicious package. Another agent drove that suspicious package while in South America to prep for Obama's upcoming visit. Agents not only used prostitutes, they got in a fight with the locals because they refused to pay those prostitutes. Okay, and there's more and more. Erica, taking the Obama administration to task and uh, doing quite a good job of it. So, yes, indeed, Erica. And thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for writing in. You know what I'm going to do tonight, Brandon? I might have a decent slice of pizza. 
Perhaps tomorrow morning I will go get, I'll buy a bagel. You may say, Buck, you can't even eat a bagel because you are celiac. That is true. I'll buy it anyway, though, because you know what I know about that bagel, Brandon? It's better than any bagels I'm getting in the swamp. I'm just going to stare at it, say, oh, you perfect New York bagel, you. You perfect piece of pizza. Maybe even some ethnic food that doesn't taste like it was frozen before I ate it. I'm just, I'm just saying. D.C. is okay. It's good for my swamp access. It's good for my swamp access, but NYC is better. And Austin, for my barbecue, will be even better than that when I get out there for the Austin barbecue meet. Will you come? Brandon, do you like barbecue? Am I an American? I don't know. Are you an American? That's a good question. I mean, you're you're kind of like a New York, Northeastern creature like me. You know, you're, I am. New you Yorker, know? but I love barbecue. Barbecue's amazing. See, it's one of those few things that brings together... All of America is that barbecues. But what is the best of the barbecue meats, Brandon? I'm putting you on the spot here. What is the top of the barbecue food chain? I'm just an old-fashioned hamburger guy. It just depends oh, on... Oh, that kind of... You mean... I, I meant like, like... What kind do you mean? Like barbecue bar... You know what I mean? Like when you go to a barbecue joint, like pulled pork and, you know... I uh, recently went to one. Uh, have you not been before? Pork. No, uh, maybe my second time. It's the first time in a while. Ah, okay. Yeah, you don't pork, keep you don't keep brisket. kosher, obviously. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not good with my my faith. Ah, I got you. Well, you know, look, I mean, I can't eat in the pork. It's delicious. It's my favorite meat. So if we're mm. gonna eat these things, but yeah, I'm a brisket guy. That's the thing. And brisket is my favorite mm-hmm. of the barbecue meats. I think that's that's the best. Some people are like, I like barbecue chicken the most. I'm like, really? Probably also probably also like Bruce Springsteen if you like barbecue chicken the most. I'm just saying. Overrated. Uh, all right. Amanda next up here on Roll Call. On Monday's show, you discuss what would happen if big tech companies decided to get in the social justice business. You should talk to Ross Patterson. Uh, he's the director of the movie Range, and he recently wrote a book that was eagerly awaited by a veterans group. He was close to getting on the bestseller list when Amazon blacklisted his book on release day for excessive violence. Huh. Who knew? I did not know that story. But I have to say, I'm not particularly surprised by that story either. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they're going to use, folks, they're going to use these terms of service violations. They're going to use all these different little tricks to uh, skew things against conservatives. I assure you, I promise you that will happen. Bob, next up here. Shields, hi, brother. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but check out the Socialist Rifle Association here on Facebook. Huh? Keep fighting the good fight as we here in Pennsylvania stand up and oppose Antifa as part of the constitutional militia. Thanks for all you do, Bob. Uh, okay. Thanks, Bob. Uh, the Socialist Rifle Association. I never heard about that before. That sounds... Brandon, you want to... Sc- <laughs> Brandon, you can be our special Socialist Rifle Association correspondent. I've never heard of that before. I'm kind of scared. Um Oh, I'm sure it's just people like to do a little shooting on the weekends. Um, and I, uh, that's, uh, what's, what's next here? I'm trying to find, oh, here we go. Mud writes, Buck, love your heart. Please keep sticking the truth in our faces. Remind everyone that life is a zero-sum game. Uh, when is Miss Molly settling in the swamp? Cheers from Matthew, a.k.a. Mud. Uh, Miss Molly's already in the swamp, my friend. She just happens to be away on business for the week, uh, but she is a, she is now a swamp dweller. She gets, you know, I, I get her mail. She's she's now a D.C. resident like me. Uh, yes, indeed. That's that's the I'm make, making all kinds of moves down to our nation's capital, where even though the president's a Republican, it feels like you're supposed to feel weird about being a Republican. That's the way it is down there. 
Uh, let's see. We have. Whoops. Sorry, I just made it. I just made it go away here. Ba- oh, Bart, my buddy Bart. I can I can always tell when it's one of my old school original Saturday Squad OSS folks. Um, we have uh, Bart saying, Buck, regarding what you said on the show on Friday, August tenth, about the never Trump Republicans. Oh, here here we go. You know, Bart Bart doesn't mince words. Uh, Bart doesn't mess around. He's a guy who gets right to it. Um, uh, never Trump. Who would rather let Democrats win than support Trump? Psychiatrists have long ago identified a type of behavior often seen in teenagers who suffer from an enlarged self of self-importance, a sense of self-importance, and who uh, feel all events happening around them strictly in terms of themselves. This is why teenagers often resort to suicide attempts as the best solution, wanting to shake the world around them up and garner attention. Uh, those who survive these turbulent years then become never Trump Republicans and once again practice their art with an undeveloped teenager's brain. Whoa. Willing to sacrifice their country, their party and greater issues it supposedly stands for for minor offenses or to win personal favor or just as the attention that it gets them from mainstream media. Bart. Bart doesn't Bart doesn't go with the light stuff. You know what I mean? Bart's not writing in to tell me that I should really watch but are you are you a um, uh, Battlestar Galactica guy? By the way, Brandon, am I making judgments about you right judgments. now? Judgments. I'm making judgments. Mm-hmm. That was okay. Did I just <laughs> pigeonhole okay. you. Okay. All right. I have fair glasses, enough. but my geekdom goes only so where, far. Where 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 does producer Brandon geek out the most? Ghostbusters, like you. Okay. Well, that's that's why I like Ninja you. Turtles. I was big into the. Who was your favorite turtle? Uh, Donatello. I don't know. I liked purple I respect, growing I respect up. It. As long as you don't like Leonardo, because he's like the hall monitor of the Ninja Turtles. Well. I have three younger brothers, so I am the Leonardo of our group. Well, that's no, okay. No, he wasn't my favorite. I mean, but, but as long as, you know. I, I was a Raphael guy, except here's my problem. I was like Raphael, Raphael was the best hand-to-hand based on the movies and also the cartoons um, and also was the toughest, but his weapons are the lamest. The Psy? Come on, dude. I would rather, I would rather have any of those weapons, although uh, Nunchakus, also known as Nunchucks, <laughs> are highly ineffective. They look cool in Bruce Lee movies, but they're highly effective. But I will have you know, they are actually banned in New York City. People got so scared of mm. numchucks, as they improperly call them, that you are not allowed to have them. They're banned. Oh, up there with brass knuckles and uh, I think collapsible batons, too, you can't carry on you in New York. A, I was unfamiliar of the proper pronunciation, so thank you. That's what I'm here for. But also, I'm surprised you didn't say Donatello, because he has the bow staff. Usually people make fun of him, because it's just, quote, just No, because if you can kick butt with a stick, you actually know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Leonardo has two unsharp knives, basically. I mean, sorry, not Leonardo. Raphael has two unsharpened knives. <laughs> Fair y- enough. You know, one, one a little fun, a fun bit of, uh, of trivia for you, by the way. Uh, you know what the, the guy who is... Um, uh, the creator of Two and a Half Men, his biggest credit before getting Chuck in- Lorre? Yeah, Chuck Lorre. Chuck Lorre wrote the theme song, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was his claim to fame for years until he became like a gajillionaire from Two and a Half Men. But thank yeah. you, Chuck Lorre. Yeah, thank you, Chuck Lorre. Uh, so, there's, so there's that. Um, all right, I've diverted from the roll call. I know you're going to get mad at me. Hold on a second, team. Brian... Writes, Buck saw and promoted some of your tweets about the real truths on the D.C. streets during the anti-police protests, as you and your brother saw it in person. Yeah, the, quote, extreme right protests. How does the media get away with these crazy lies? 
Stay safe out there in the swamp, brother. Also, just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy your and Porter's weekly investment hour podcast and how much I get from it. Make sure to let the rest of the team know about it more often. You all have some really intelligent minds in the financial industry on there, and I get a lot from it. Appreciate the name of last week's podcast referencing uh, referencing Omar. Uh, Bummer Porter didn't get the winning fish at the White Marlin Open next year. It's from Brian. Uh, First of all, Brian, I'm so glad you enjoy the... uh, the Investor Hour podcast, the Stansberry Investor Hour, which is, uh, I have to say, a, a re- if you're interested in finance, which I am, I'm, I'm a learning, right? I am the student. Uh, Porter, who's the CEO of a very successful uh, financial newsletter and research company called uh, Stansberry, Stansberry Research. Porter, the CEO of this company, which has a couple of hundred employees and uh, he does this podcast with me once a week, and I am, you know, he is Obi-Wan and I am Padawan on finance. I don't know anything about finance, but I've been learning a lot from doing the show and reading their research, and it, that, I just like that part of life where you're just learning entirely new stuff, and Porter is, one, a really charismatic guy, but also just an encyclopedia of knowledge about the markets, you know, should you buy gold, should you buy Google, should you buy, he, you know, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, folks, I think it's the best finance podcast out there, and I've listened to a bunch of them, uh, more famous ones, I think he does a phenomenal job, and I kind of sit there and just play the everyman and talk to him a little bit about this and that, little political analysis, um, but it's mostly for me to learn, and that's kind of the role, I play the role of guy who is learning and uh, on, about finance, and Porter plays the role of, um, you know, guy who actually is is teaching about finance and stuff. So you can check that at investorhour.com if any of you are curious. Totally free. You can download it anytime you want. It's once a week. This past week or two of shows hasn't had Porter, so don't start. You want a show where Porter's on, so don't uh, don't jump into the guest host shows because those are a little different. Um, and speaking of shows, make sure that you check out uh, the, the Freedom Hut podcast, folks. They are evergreen, which means you can listen to them anytime. If you've missed any of them in the past, go back. My conversation with Ann Coulter, my conversation with Raheem Kassam, with Benny Johnson. These are all really fun things to listen to. Uh, just type in the Freedom Hut on iTunes. You can check it out there. I'll be here uh, in the swamp, actually, not here, darn it. But I'll be uh, doing the show, <laughs> as I always do, tomorrow from the swamp in D.C. It's been fun being up here in NYC with producer Mike, producer Brandon, the rest of the gang. Uh, please do be sure to tip your waitress. Remember, it's all in the reflexes. And shields high.